Hello, welcome to Songs in the Key of, a podcast about songs. These might be old songs, new songs or middle-aged songs. Anything that takes my fancy, really. Sometimes these shows will be themed around an idea, a person, a genre or some other concept. Other times they will simply reflect my latest obsessions, my new favourite bands, those songs I can't get out of my head. So, let's get on with it. Last time round, I selected comedy as my theme. It wasn't particularly intended to be this way, but by stark contrast, this episode is about the direct opposite of comedy. I've chosen the title Songs in the Key of Troubled Minds, partly inspired by the excellent bluesy funk of Sir Joe Quarterman and Free Soul that you can hear in the background. With that in mind, it's probably sensible to offer some kind of trigger warning as I'm addressing issues to do with mental health. There's no big scary stories, no graphic references to particularly bad experiences, but there is a fair bit of talk about the feelings experienced during bouts of depression, trauma and anxiety. The main message I suppose I want to leave you with this episode is that you are not alone. If you're feeling depressed, anxious, stressed, however you may identify the trouble in your mind, you are not alone in all senses of the world. There are other people experiencing similar, though I appreciate, never identical problems to you. And there are also people out there, friends, families, charities, other organisations that can be with you through the dark. I'll put some details in the show notes if you're interested. In the meantime, Let's listen to some music. From the moment I heard Devendra Banhart's song I Feel Just Like a Child on a freebie CD with December 2005's edition of Uncut magazine, I felt an immense affinity for it. And at first I just found it funny. The lyrics were quirky and witty with lines like From being my daddy's sperm to being packed in an urn, I'm a child. In fact, I quickly resolved that, along with The Great Gig in the Sky from Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, Devendra Banhart's song would need to feature in some capacity at my funeral. That should give you some level of insight into my sense of rather warped sense of humour. Whether the gathered throng of dearly beloved who would come to see me off would share my amusement at the song is a question you need to ask them. But the thing is, deep down, I think I identified with that song so much because on some not-so-deep level, the premise of that song represented, and to a large extent still represents, exactly how I feel. Because beyond the old-school 12-bar blues tune and the lyrical whimsy, there's a dark admission of something tragic and quite painful hidden in plain sight. And you'll hear it in lines like this. While some people try and treat me like a man, they think I know shit, but that's just it. I'm a child. There are those of us in the world who, for whatever reason, through some big old capital T trauma, or through an onslaught of constant discomfort and unpredictability, found their experience of growing up got stunted, leaving them less able to cope in the grown-up world. It would probably not be a great idea to have this song played at my funeral, but it is interesting finally coming to understand exactly why this song seemed so attractive to me when I first heard it, and the power it still holds over me. Well, I feel just like a child. Yeah. 
song with a similar theme to that of Banhart's I Feel Just Like a Child is Clear Lake's I Want to Live in a Dream. I know, I know, I keep blathering on about this obscure indie band from the early 2000s and it's not as if I play their songs back to back when not recording podcasts. But the themes and ideas of their songs do seem so aligned with my thinking right now that there's a kind of inevitability to them appearing on the Songs in the Key of playlists. I Want to Live in a Dream is a song about pure childhood fantasy, a desire for absolute escapism, and again, despite its chirpy late Britpop whimsy, there's a darkness to it, spectacularly conspicuous by its very obvious absence. Because you can't live in a dream, you can't not have to worry about little things like money, and you can't have the world take care of me. The world doesn't and can't work like that which is bloody annoying. That said, there are enough of us in the world so maladjusted by our experiences so far that we still want to live in that dream to escape. That's what pretty much any addiction is all about. And even those of us who are not addicted to alcohol, drugs, sex, gambling and whatever else can still end up looking for the opportunity to live in a dream through any number of apparent options unhelpful relationships, toxic religion, and all-consuming interests that divert us from being able to deal with the real world, for example. Clear Lake Song, then, isn't a celebration of escapism, an ode to carefree, responsibility-free living. It's a sugar-coated wake-up call that points out just how deluded that craving for dream living is. I'm a The definitive song from the definitive album about anxiety, depression and mental unhealth is Comfortably Numb from Pink Floyd's epic concept double album, The Wall. 
Most people will know another brick in the wall part two with its chorus of we don't need no education. But for my money, the best parts of the album appear on the second half, starting with Hey You, with other highlights such as Run Like Hell and the West End musical meets Kafka novel dystopian show tune that is The Trial appearing along the way. Comfortably Numb is one of the big Pink Floyd classics making a regular appearance in live shows as demonstrated by the delicate Sound of Thunder, Pulse and Live at Nebworth live albums and it stands to reason. It's one of those songs that people just connect with. Which is ironic really because this song is all about disconnection and disassociation. The Wall is all about an individual's desperate attempts at self-preservation, building a wall around himself to protect himself from the world that actually creates a bigger problem in the long run. Comfortably Numb comes in towards the end of the album as things are getting worse and worse for the protagonist of the piece, Pink. He's dosed himself up on non-prescription drugs, only for a doctor to add to the cocktail with a pinprick of more officially approved medication that only serves to push him deeper into his disconnection. The song is full of allusions to this disassociation. There is no pain, you are receding, a distant ship smoke on the horizon. You are only coming through in waves, your lips move, but I can't hear what you're saying. There may well be no pain, but Pink is definitely in far from a good place. He's withdrawn and a million miles away from the achievement he needs with the rest of the world. When the Scissor Sisters released the disco version of the song, I was actually rather angry. It felt like a desecration of something important, as if they'd interspersed the script of Hamlet with a load of fart gags. Don't get me wrong, the hedonism of dance music, whether that's the disco of the 70s or the EDM of around five minutes ago, can be a wonderful thing, as can fart gags. But it seemed like this Scissor Sisters version was a complete mismatch of message and medium, a song about the painless agony of not being connected with the world, presented through a lens of inconsequential escapism. We do, however, still have the original. For all their infighting, bickering and ultimately inability to stay in the same band together, Roger Waters and David Gilmour were at their best when working together. And nothing bar nothing bar nothing demonstrates that any better than the tune you're about to hear. Yeah. 
Talking of numb, there's another song featuring that word that means a huge deal to this particular troubled mind. The Pet Shop Boys released their album Fundamental in 2006, and it's the album of theirs to which I most regularly return. When in 2010 I found myself experiencing a particularly heavy bout of depression and anxiety, I would go for daily walks to get some exercise and fresh air. Obviously, I'd take my iPod with me. I remember exactly where I was on the crossroads besides the King's Head in Rochester when Numb from Fundamental came on. That sweeping, symphonic sound of strings, brass and timpani giving way to Neil Tennant's heartbreaking vocal. Everything about it seemed to speak to my whole being. It felt like he was singing about my very specific experiences right there, right then in the centre of Rochester. Unlike Comfortably Numb, which mourns the sense of disassociation and disconnect experienced after a traumatic episode, this song yearns for escape. Neil Tennant's vocal is all about being absolutely desperate to stop feeling all that fucking pain. For all the times anyone feels like they're completely alone in their agonising sadness, Songs like these that help lift the load ever so slightly. You are not alone. Don't wanna hear the news, what's going on, what's coming through, I don't wanna know, don't wanna know. Just wanna hide away, make my escape, just want the wild to leave me too much, I see too much, for a little while I want to forget, I wanna be numb, I don't wanna feel this pain no more, I wanna lose touch, I just wanna go and lock the door, I don't wanna think, I don't wanna feel nothing, I wanna be The next song on this playlist doesn't sound like the thoughts of a troubled mind at all. Rather, it sounds like a yearning song of devotion to the object of some future affection. But for me, George and Ira Gershwin's Someone to Watch Over Me conveys a lot more than simply a desire for romantic love. In fact, for me, 
it conveys a yearning for something that isn't romantic love at all. It's about a quest for things so simple as security, acceptance and belonging. I first discovered the song, care of the 90s movie Mr Holland's Opus, starring Richard Dreyfus in the lead role. It's a beautifully elegant, sumptuous song, dripping with lingering, innocent desire for some unquantifiable better life, which the lyrics identify as being freely available if only the singer were to meet the right man. But listen to those lyrics more closely and you'll find that the heroine of this story isn't really after some ideal man at all. More likely, it's an ideal parent. It's the lines like, tell me where is the shepherd for this lost lamb? And of course, the line featuring the title, oh, how I need someone to watch over me. That, for me at least, reveals the real ache and longing at the centre of this song. The song originally appeared in the musical OK and is sung by the titular K to a raggedy Ann doll. Now, it might be I'm spouting a load of cod psychological BS at this point, but it strikes me that the setting of a character singing a song about longing for someone to look after them to a child's toy only emphasises that deep down this tune is about needing something far richer and more grounding and irresistibly nourishing than even the most glittering of whirlwind romances. The love of a good old solid mum or dad. And that, I think, is why this song is such a timeless classic. There's a saying old says that love is blind Still we're often told, seek and ye shall find So I'm going to seek a certain lad I've had in mind Looking everywhere, haven't found him yet He's the big affair Little lamb whose 
Now, this episode of Songs in the Key of might suggest otherwise, but I'm not really a great fan of musicals. The idea of people breaking out into song every time there's the subtlest of plot developments in a West End show does very little for me. I may be quite prepared to accept the propositions of a DeLorean-fueled time travel, crime-solving Victorian rodents or super-powered immigrants from fictional Eastern European countries constructing a suburban idyll for themselves built purely out of their childhood memories of American sitcoms out of a grief-stricken response to the death of their android lover. But there is only so deep a hole I'm usually prepared to dig in order to suspend my disbelief. But I did say usually there, and there are on occasion some musicals that tickle my fancy. West Side Story features on that rather small list, but so too does a more recent Broadway hit, The Book of Mormon. For the uninitiated, and judging by the fact that some easily offended theatregoers still leave theatres staging the production in absolute disgust within the first five minutes, there remain a large number of such people, The Book of Mormon is the brainchild of Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the crude minds behind South Park and, lest we forget, Team America, the big screen marionette movie featuring marathon sex scenes and spectacularly gratuitous vomiting. The Book of Mormon follows the adventures of a couple of followers of the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints as they pursue the missionary work they feel called to do as obedient Mormons. One song from the musical in particular sticks in my mind as it's all about the kind of denial that many people can experience often within the setting of a religious background, culture or experience, but not exclusively so. Turn It Off primarily addresses the subject of one young elder who is clearly repressing the fact that he is gay. As he and his friends discuss his feelings, they quickly come to the conclusion that the best thing to do with such a feeling is turn it off like a light switch. But this supposed solution isn't just reserved for inconvenient feelings about one's sexuality. Prior to that big reveal, there are dark references to domestic abuse and terminal illnesses which can, apparently, all be dealt with simply by turning it off like a light switch. Parker and Stone have a knack of hiding deep, important truths beneath their scatology and gross-out humour. And in this piece of painfully accurate satire, they've more than ably demonstrated that beneath that veneer of puerile schoolboys, you'll find a couple of rather well-attuned, connected and self-aware men. I got a feeling that you could be feeling a whole lot better than you feel today. You say you got a problem, well that's no problem It's super easy not to feel that way When you start to get confused because of thoughts in your head Don't feel those feelings, hold them in instead Turn it off like a light switch, just go click It's a cool little Mormon trick We do it all the time When you're feeling certain feelings that just don't seem right Treat those pesky feelings like a reading light And turn them off Like a light switch Just go back Really, what's so hard about that? Turn it off! Turn it off! (laughs) 
In retrospect, I think we're all agreed that the demise of Britpop was what the finest historians of the 20th century, Sellers and Yateman, would refer to as a good thing. But at the time, I'm not sure I was that convinced. My whole love affair with music started thanks to Blur's Country House. And so when they put aside the Mockney Kinks references and went all lo-fi, there was at least one 17-year-old who was left rather confused by the whole thing. Needless to say, in retrospect, it was the best move that Blur could have possibly made. A new, fresh direction that resolutely closed the door on some arguably embarrassing previous life decisions was just what was needed, both for music fans and for the members of the band themselves. Meanwhile, when the bloated mass of self-aggrandizing nonsense that was Oasis's Be Here Now proved that Britpop had well and truly eaten itself and was now doubled up on the floor complaining of indigestion and heartburn, well, that was all just a bit disappointing. I'm not entirely sure whether the Manic Street Preachers ever fitted under the Britpop umbrella properly, their heyday with the album Everything Must Go certainly occurred at around the same time as the most excessive excesses of Blur Oasis, Pulp, Echo Belly, Elastica, Supergrass and everyone else. But to what extent they really were a Britpop band, well, maybe I should just leave that to their biographer Simon Price. As with both Blur's eponymous album and Oasis's Be Here Now, the Manic Street Preachers follow up to their big album came with its challenges. This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours from 1998 proved to be the band's difficult fifth album. It boasted less in the way of the hard-rocking bombast that had created anthems like Australia, Kevin Carter and the previous album's title track. And it was also the first Manix album not to feature lyrics from their now-missing presumed dead bandmate Richie Edwards. Instead, This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours packs a more reserved punch. There is anger in the lyrics, that's for certain. S-Y-M-M, for example, bemoans the huge injustice of what happened to 96 football fans at the Hillsborough Football Stadium. But the music is certainly more lingering, more pensive. Nowhere is this more evident than in My Little Empire, with its wiry guitar and mournful cello accompaniment. It's a song of dejection and resignation, of restlessness and a desire for calm. James Dean Bradfield's vocals carve out an image of a man completely lost in himself, finding whatever comfort he can in the familiarity of the pain he feels, because he can't imagine anything else. He may be fucked with being fucked, but at exactly the same time he's quite happy being sad. Because when you're that far down, anything else seems either too impossible or too scary to contemplate.
most prominent musical documentarian of mental health at the moment, at least within my line of vision, is John Grant, a phenomenal singer-songwriter who seems to know nothing other than wearing his heart on his sleeve. Grant first came to prominence as the lead singer in the band The Sars, but he's secured a much greater profile since going solo and has just released his fifth album, Boy From Michigan which I'll be getting my mitts on as soon as possible. I've already featured John Grant on this podcast before, thanks to his brazen borrowing of Rachmaninoff's prelude in C-sharp minor for his second album's title track, Pale Green Ghost, which I featured way back on my Songs in the Key of Rachmaninoff show. For this episode, though, I've chosen the title track from his third album, Grey Tickles, Black Pressure. Grey Tickle's Black Pressure is as fantastic an exemplar as any other of John Grant's capacity for devastatingly honest lyrics that perfectly capture the experience of being lost inside your own mind. There's that series of lines in the opening verse about standing and staring at nothing in the grocery store because I do not know what to buy to eat anymore. It's presented with an almost funny offhand delivery, a kind of throwaway what am I like anecdote. But anyone who has had similar experiences will know just how disorientating and overwhelming it is to stand in the middle of a shop, surrounded by other people who clearly have no problem at all in picking up a loaf of bread and a couple of pints of milk. And then there's that pivotal line about there are children who have cancer a version of which has played itself over and over again inside the heads of, I would guess, the overwhelming majority of people who have experiences with stress, anxiety and or depression. That feeling of not deserving to feel the way you do, of having no right, which only makes the feeling so much worse, not better at all. This is Grey Tickle's Black pressure. I did not think I was the one being addressed in hemorrhoid commercials on the TV set. I often stand and stare at nothing in the grocery store because I do not know what to buy to eat anymore. So 
The idea of depression as a black dog is most commonly associated with Winston Churchill, but the metaphor actually has a much older, more intricate history than that. Lines from Robert Louis Stevenson's New Arabian Nights and Treasure Island feature the phrase black dog when referring to melancholia in the 1880s. Further back still, Samuel Johnson is recorded as referring to depression as a black dog in the 18th century. There have been some interpretations of ancient Greek poets that feature black dogs too, but these seem to have been misunderstandings at best and maybe even at worst attempts to retro-engineer the phrase further back into history than can actually be realistic. Nevertheless, there's long been a history, as the academic Megan McKinley puts it, of the black dog appearing as one of the devil's guises, a witch's familiar, as guardian or gatekeeper of the world of the dead. It is both cross-cultural and ancient, a staple of Greek, Roman, Egyptian, Middle Eastern and Norse mythologies. In a contemporary sense, this representation of the black dog emerges in literature in forms such as Goethe's Mephistopheles or Conan Doyle's Hound of the Baskervilles. And then, of course, there's music. A few songs immediately spring to mind when I hear the phrase Black Dog, one of them coming from an album already featured in this episode. The Manic Street Preacher's This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours features a song called Black Dog On My Shoulder, in which there are direct allusions to the wartime leader who popularised the phrase. Of course, Led Zeppelin had a song called Black Dog on their fourth album, but that didn't actually reference anything to do with depression, more just an actual black dog. But Arlo Park's song of the same name does reference depression. It's sung from the perspective of someone terrified at the sight of a loved one going through the gut-wrenching experience of depression. I'd lick the grief right off your lips. You do your eyes like Robert Smith. Sometimes it seems like you won't survive this and honestly, it's terrifying. Let's go to the corner store and buy some fruit. I would do anything to get you out of your room. Just take your medicine and eat some food. I would do anything to get you out of your room. It's so cruel what your mind can do for no reason. I take a jump off the fire escape to make the black dog go away. At least I know that you are trying, but that's what makes it terrifying. But the Black Dog song I'm going to play to you comes from Nick Drake's final sparse album, Pink Moon. Released in 1972, Pink Moon is stripped bare of all the luscious string accompaniments that do so much to define Five Leaves Left and Brighter Later. The sound of this final album does much to parallel what was going on for Nick Drake away from the studio. He was becoming more and more introverted, further detached from the world, retreating in and in on himself. Black Eyed Dog 
is one of the most poignant songs on what is already a very melancholic album, made all the more so by the fact that we know that within a year, Nick Drake passed away as the result of an overdose. Whether it was intended or not, forever remains unknown. The song recalls something of old school blues, a man and a guitar wailing out with the pain of what life has thrown him, the cards he has been dealt. I'm growing old and I want to go home. I'm growing old and I don't want to know. I'm growing old and I want to go home. Black eyed dog he called at my door. The black eyed dog he called for more. Black eyed dog he called at my door. Black eyed dog he called for more. Black eyed dog he knew my name. Black eyed dog he knew my name. Black eyed dog. Let's end with something a little more cheery. The final song from this selection of songs in the key of Troubled Minds comes from the German DJ Timo Maas and his 2002 album Loud. We Are Nothing features a spoken word narration over some gorgeously swampy slurpy noises. Despite the pure stodginess of it, I find it a fantastic tune to run to, as I do with the whole album. We Are Nothing is far from the nihilistic piece of existentialism the title suggests because it's a misleading half-quote of the key lyric from the tune. It's a track about embracing possibilities, about seeing the massive complexity of the world not as a foreboding, daunting monster that will consume you, but as something filled with better and newer possibilities, full of endless possible futures. I love this track, there's nothing contrived about it, it's not wishy-washy and neither is it delivered with the overconfidence of some smarmy, broad-grinned, tooth-whitened Californian snake oil salesman. It's just direct and driven and rooted and connected. And that is what I aspire to be. But I, I'm a believer. Well, that's not strictly true. I'm more of a make-believer. But it sort of adds up to the same thing. Here, in the lap of the gods, neither party holds a universal truth and my hopes lie like litter on the open road for everybody to drive through. Teetering on the swarf, my physical limitations dwarfed just by the wonder of living. Brought on for no real reason other than just the wonder of life. And now, being what I want to be, catches up so fast with me, I have to make a better and newer possibilities just to keep up with myself. And now, nothing is a problem. My mouth dry from the heat of endless possible futures, a sweet promise of tomorrow quenching my thirst. All we need to do 
now is due death for as long as we can. Then when the day finally comes, we can pull a clean sheet from our pockets and write down all that we have achieved, all that we have seen, to make sure we have left nothing behind. We are nothing. We are nothing. We are nothing other than that that we give away for free, and we are nothing but the sum of our parts. So there you have it, 10 songs in the key of Troubled Minds. I hope you appreciated them. Let me know what you thought, or if you have any particular tunes that help you through your long dark nights of the soul, by putting a comment on my Instagram, Songs in the Key of. I'll be back soon with Songs in the Key of something else, hopefully a little more cheery this time. In the meantime, have a marvellous few days and nights till we meet again.